I don't know how the rest of you are handling this time of year, but allergies are literally of Satan. Uh, and usually they're all like up in my head and, and that's miserable too. But this is the first time in my life, like none of it's in my head. It's all in my chest. It's probably COVID. Uh, so stay away from me. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That, it's not funny to joke about yet, is it? Um, I'm kidding, obviously, but I feel fine. I feel pretty good other than the fact that I cough up a lung if I talk too long. So this sermon may be super short today. Uh, if I pass out, somebody, Jerrica, you're in here. I guess you're going to have to revive me. But uh, beyond that, uh, if you could also pray for me, uh, because I'm a Cardinals fan. And uh, very funny, very funny. I'm going to be praying for you, too. You get hit by a city bus. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. It was a joke. It was a joke. Loosen up. Let's loosen up. But yeah, I'm a Cardinals fan. That hasn't been going well, so I could use some prayer for that too. But uh, I'm super excited about this morning. I, I got to be honest with you. This is one of those uh, sermons as I was um, writing it, as I was studying and I was going over everything and, and, and just pouring over the notes and, and looking at the original language and just doing all the things that I do. I got some goosebumps, and it's, it's not because of anything that I've written, right? It's, I'm not sitting up here, and I've got some uh, just amazing, uh, mind-blowing um, thing that you've never heard anybody else say before, but it's just that, if I'm being really honest with you guys, Scripture is super cool. Scripture is super cool, and this is just one of those days where it's like, I could just read the scripture and not say anything else and, and we'd be good to go. And so uh, we've got two more weeks in Romans. If you've missed the previous Roman series, I would encourage you to go back on YouTube or anywhere you can find a podcast and uh, go ahead and, and, and find that as well. Uh, last week, I didn't preach and some of you were saying amen, uh, but Chase was up here and he did a great job and he was talking uh, about what it looks like to be alive in Christ. And we settled on the fact that to be alive in Christ is, is to be dead to sin, right? To be alive in Christ is to be dead to sin. And that as Christians, um, we experience this grace that when we sin, God gives us grace. He shows us mercy. But that's not an excuse for us to continue to go on sinning. That's not an excuse for us to continue to, to test God's patience. And, and this week, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about uh, just a little bit more now. We're going to be looking at God's righteous decision to bring salvation not just to the Jew, but to the Gentile as well. We're going to be in Romans chapter 9 mostly. We'll look at a couple of verses in Romans chapter 10 this morning. Uh, before we get started, sound guys, I am ringing up here again really bad. So if we could get that corrected, uh, my brain will thank you very much. My ADHD is not allowing the focus to take place right now. So Romans 9, like I said, verse 1 through 5, that took care of it. Whatever you did, I appreciate it. It says, I speak the truth in Christ. Okay, These are Paul's words, as you may know, in this letter to Romans. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. 
forever praised. Amen. Now these verses, they show the anguish that Paul was experiencing at seeing the majority of his fellow Jews reject Jesus Christ. Here are the Jews who have experienced the blessing of God for the entirety of their existence. They have got to uh, and had the opportunity to witness God more than really any other. They, they had God literally live among their ancestors, um, and, and, and yet they're missing it. They're missing it. From them has come the Savior of the world, right? Christ himself was a Jew, and yet they are rejecting the gospel. They're rejecting the gospel. And Paul is in this deep and bitter anguish over it. You see, the one people group who should have recognized Christ as Messiah and the Son of God chose instead to to wander in the wilderness once more. They chose to wander in the wilderness once more. Here they are again being brought up right to the, to the cusp, right, right to the very edge of the promised land, getting to experience salvation, which is not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles, but comes from the Jews. Here they are ready, ready to grasp this, this ultimate gift from God, and yet the majority of them are turning their back on Jesus Christ. They're turning their back on Jesus Christ. And Paul's response is a lesson for all of us. You see, we must be anguished at the rejection of the gospel in order to be held, uh, or in order to be bold enough, I'm sorry, to share it with the world. It must anguish us. It must tear us up inside. It must make us miserable that the gospel is being rejected by so many in our world today. Enough that we think to ourselves, I have to continue to share. I have to continue to, to, to push, to, to deliver this good news of God, to, to let the world know who Jesus is. Anguish is a great motivator. And how different would our world be if, if we could earnestly, like Paul say, if the rest of the world would just get it. If they would just get it. You could cut me off. Paul literally saying he's willing to sacrifice himself to a stance of not knowing who Christ is so that the rest of the world might have that opportunity. That is literally giving up everything. Everything. How different would our world be if we too were willing to give up everything for the chance that people might know and hear and experience the gospel. Paul goes on to express God's sovereignty, making it clear that the failure was not in the promise, but the promised, right? The failure is not in the promise, but those who received the promise. Romans 6 or 9, 6 through 9. It is not as though God's word had failed, For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that our offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. 
What does all of this exactly mean? First and foremost, we have to understand that God's promise is good and lasting. His promise is good and lasting. As Paul makes clear, it's not that God's word has failed, right? God's word has not failed. His promise is good and his promise is true. But it's not just knowing of Christ or being descended of those who are God's people, right? It's not just enough to say that I know God because it's not that physical connection that makes us children of God. It is children of the promise, which means those who have placed their faith and their trust in God that get to truly experience God's promise. His promise is good. We are not. His promise has not failed. We as people have. See, the reason we often don't feel as if we experience this isn't the value of the promise, it's guaranteed, but because of our failure to place our faith in the promiser. That is the difference between those who can consider themselves sons and daughters of the living God and those that can't. It's not that the promise is good for some and not good for others. It's that some have realized the goodness of the promise and have chosen to place their faith and their trust in him. And Paul is trying to make that clear, not just for his Jewish readers, but for his Gentile readers as well. It's not about birthright. It's not about background. It's not about where you've come from or what you have done. It is about what you are doing now and is what you are doing now, you placing your faith and trust in the promise that God has delivered through Jesus Christ. And we struggle with this because this means that a multitude of sinners with a multitude of sins, one that we look at and say, that's too dirty, that's too unworthy, that's not valuable, right? That is not worthy of God's grace and forgiveness. That means that a multitude of people that fit into that category are going to experience the goodness and the mercy of God. And if we're being honest with ourselves, we don't like that. We don't like that because that does not feel like justice. That does not feel like God being a good God. So Paul then goes on to discuss God's right to make promises and give blessings to those who place their faith in him. This is chapter 9, verse 10 through 16, and it's a little bit bigger of a chunk, so stay with me in your Bible, read it on the screen, follow along, just listen, whatever you need to do. Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but God's mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. 
Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. This is one of those scriptures and these passages in scripture that when you read, it causes you to pause for a moment. You see, this is one of those uh, passages that those who stand firm on, on the fact that election takes place, that God has predetermined those who will believe and those who don't, they cling to this scripture as much as many others and they say, see, here's our proof. God has determined that some will be saved and some will not. Some will experience his mercy and some will not. But we're going to have to dig a little deeper to see if that is exactly true. See, Paul goes on to answer a question that exists in the hearts of many even to this day. Is God just choosing to save some and damn others? Is God loving and choosing to save some and damn others? Wouldn't a good and loving God love everyone? And if God is so loving, why would anybody ever experience damnation at all? But Paul uses God's own words to Moses in verse 15, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Paul goes on to say that God's mercy doesn't depend on effort or desire, but God's choice to freely give what belongs to him. And here's something that we must cope with and understand. Mercy is God's to give, not ours to receive. Mercy is God's to give, not ours to receive. We have no right to it. That is why it is called mercy. That is why it is called grace, because it is a free gift that is given to us. And this makes us, if we're being honest, a little bit uncomfortable, but I want you to think about something. I work really hard, not, not just here, and I know that, that sounds boastful, but I work really hard. I have multiple jobs, right? I'm also a teacher, and because of the work, I get a paycheck, just like hopefully all of you. If you work and you put in hard work, you reap that benefit of a paycheck, right? Now, that money, I will tell you, I see as God's money first, but after that, it's my money, right? It's God's money, but after that, it, it's for me and my wife to determine what to do with, correct? I mean, would anybody disagree with that, okay? So if I choose to give my money to... Joe Blow on the street corner. Do you have a say in that? Why? Because it's mine to give. You have opinions, right? Some of you think you should not have given that person your money. They're just going to go drink it away or they're going to do this or they're going to do that. You shouldn't let them work, right? But in the end, it's not yours to say what I do with my money. Just like it's not for me to say what you should do with your money. You must make those decisions. You have earned that right. So what I would ask you today is this. Does mercy belong to anyone but God? I want you to really think about that because this is a tough question that we have to ask and it's a tough question as Christians that we have to answer. Does mercy belong to anyone but God. Do you have a right to it? Do others? Or because he is God, because he is creator, because he is sustainer, because he is provider of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, does he have a right to say they will experience mercy 
and they will not. They will experience mercy, and they will not. You see, it is His to give. God gives mercy to those that He wants to give mercy to, and He holds accountable those He wants to hold accountable. Or, as Scripture puts it, He hardens those He wants to harden. He hardens those He wants to harden. Which are those who have chosen to ignore His existence? See, here's what we have to understand as Christians. Judgment, falling on those who turn a blind eye to God's call for obedience is righteous. Justice, falling on those who turn a blind eye to God's call for obedience is righteous. So does God just predetermine who gets to experience it and who doesn't? Well, let's read a little further. Verse 22 through 24, chapter 9. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles." I want us to logically look at and read the first part of, or just verse 22 again. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath? That does not sound to me like predetermination. You do not bear with patience when a decision has already been made. You bear with patience when you are lovingly giving objects of your wrath an opportunity to turn from your wrath. And there is enough evidence for me in Scripture that tells me that God is willing and wants to give you chance after chance after chance after chance. But eventually, and those of you that have children know this, and those of you that have coworkers know this, Eventually, chance after chance after chance after chance turns into, well, now it's time for me to take off my belt, right? Not anymore. Now that's abuse. But back when I was growing up, that was apparently very loving, okay? <laughs> and it was, I experienced the love quite a bit, right? Uh, but I will say, look at me now, right? Look at me now. But we see that, right? Eventually, patience gives way to punishment. Eventually, patience gives way to punishment. God's patience is ever-present, and it is long-lasting. I am proof of that. You surely are proof of that. If you think back to your story and your life, God's patience is ever-present and long-lasting, but there is a point, there is a point where God's patience is not to be played with. And at that point, there is a reckoning where God says, I have given you chance. I have sent you envoy after envoy. I have tried to show you the error of your ways and your need to change, and you are determined not to. 
So in my righteousness, you will face punishment. And even in that punishment, your life will not be in vain because your life, your punishment, your judgment will show the extent of my mercy. You see, it's only through that punishment, if we're being honest, it's only through that punishment, it's only through that wrath that we can truly understand what mercy and forgiveness is. It's only when we realize the consequences that we realize what it means to not have to face them. And so some will face punishment. But make no mistake about it, God's desire, God's will, is that all would experience mercy. The fact of the matter is, mercy is known in the light of wrath. And without knowing wrath, we would not be able to define God's mercy as seen in Romans 10, 9 through 13, which is where we're going to end today. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Salvation is here. Salvation is right now. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will experience it. And the reality is that those who don't will not. We must ensure then that the gospel is shared and the difference is made clear to the world around us. The scripture does not tell us to be resigned to the fact that some will never come to God and some will eventually be reached. It doesn't allow us to delineate. It doesn't let us be lazy. It doesn't tell us that God's determined it and and it's going to be what it will be and so I can just sit back and chill right? I can just sit back and let what happens, happens. No, our role in all of this is to share the gift that we have been given, knowing, knowing, no matter how much disappointment it may cause us, that some of those who we share it with will reject it. Some of those that we share it with will reject us. We will be mocked. We will be ridiculed. We will be called morons and idiots and all of those things. But still, still our job, our job is to ensure that everyone has the opportunity to experience the mercy of God. And our job is to not give up on those in our lives who have already rejected us. We must continue. We must continue to show them the love of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
excuse me. God, I come to you right now today, and Lord, I thank you that there is mercy to be had. I thank you that there is mercy to be had. And God, while I wish it was true, I absolutely wish it was true that everyone would just experience your mercy and your love and, and, and your forgiveness, I know that that is not the case. I know that everyone has that opportunity, but I know that that is not the case, that some will still deny you, that some will take their own intelligence and their own view of the world and say, this is right, and God is not. Lord, I, I pray, I pray for each and every one of us that, that we live lives that point to you in everything we do, that we take those opportunities to have those tough discussions, to, to face rejection and understand and know that we still may not experience that, that, that thing where we share the gift and that gift is received, but yet we still must share the gift anyways. Help us to be bold. Help us to be brave. Help us to love others like someone loved us. Because God, I, I am sure of it that while it's possible, the majority of us did not come to you without the influence of others. The majority of us did, did not come into this relationship, into this way that we walk through life without someone else inviting us to participate. You are a loving God. You are a merciful God. But woe to anyone who wants to test that. Woe to anyone that wants to test that. Help us to be people who pull others into your embrace. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. If you need to pray, if you need to pray with somebody this morning, my request is that you would be bold enough to step out and, and go find somebody to pray with. Uh, Allie, will you stand up? Allie's straight back this aisle. If you need somebody to pray with, Allie loves to pray. She loves to pray. She loves to pray for you. She's probably praying for you even though you don't go and ask her to pray for you. But Allie loves to pray and she would love to pray with you. She would absolutely love to pray with you. Whatever is on your heart, whatever is on your mind, go pray with her. Shane, uh, can I have you come stand over here? Shane Coker is going to be back over here. For those of you who maybe don't know Shane, Shane uh, is plugged in. He's helping with our youth. He is a man of God, and I know Shane loves to pray as well, and he would be honored to pray with you also. Okay? The fact of the matter is you could look all over this room, and you can find people that want to pray with you. I can point them out. Heath, Jerrica, Ashley. Okay? If I haven't said your name, I'm sure you'd pray with somebody too, but grab somebody right next to you and say, hey, will you pray with me? If they tell you no, let me know and I'll slap them after service. Lovingly. I'll lovingly slap them from the Lord. That's a joke. But why? Why hold on to something that you need to give over to the Lord? Don't do that today. Be bold enough to pray. If, if you're bold enough to walk out in front of everybody and say that I need prayer, you know what happens when that happens? Not only do you get prayed for, but other people say, I should pray for them. I should pray for them too. And then you're surrounded in prayer. Come, use our stage as an altar. Pray. There is power in prayer. Prayer changes things. Maybe you don't need to pray for yourself. Maybe there's somebody else in your life that you need to pray for. Come pray for them. Come ask one of us to pray for them. 
If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have not experienced the mercy that is available to you and the grace that is available to you through putting your faith and trust in Him, and you're at the very least curious, you're at the very least curious, have a discussion with me today. Come talk with me today But by the time you leave. Okay? Let that be known. You don't want to have that discussion here? Let's meet sometime and get coffee. But have that discussion. Okay, have that discussion. Some of you are ready to become a member of our church. You're ready to dive in with both feet to pick up that mantle of, of serving and, and to plug in. See me after service. See me after service. Let's talk about that as well. Okay. Otherwise, now, now is the time that we get to stand and we get to worship and we get to thank God for who God is and what God has done. And I, for one, think he's worthy of it. So I would ask that you join me, that you stand, and that you spend this time in reflection and prayer and in worship. Let's do that now.